Thanks for joining us for Faith in Four Letter Words, where we will talk about surviving the boys club, perfect poly and motherhood, all while living in the fishbowl. Let's be real. We're going to go from left to right and couple sides. <laughs> so I am Amanda Goodman. And I'm Tara Thomas. We are your friendly neighborhood news anchors, former news chicks. And we are now a part of this podcast, having a wonderful time sharing so much fun and frivolity and opinions because we have a lot of them and we like to talk about a lot of things. And we are an inch deep and a mile wide on our knowledge of so much minutia, thanks to 20 years covering television news near and far in Texas, Washington State, yeah. my previous employee, Mason City, where I replaced Jody Husentrude, which is for another day and another topic. Right. Definitely have to get into that. And I was in North Carolina. We have like 40, almost 40 years between the two of us. And I think the big thing is reason why this is important for us. And this it's one of the reasons why I blog. And if people don't understand this, I started blogging because I wanted, I didn't want people to think that I was that perfect news anchor with the hair that was hairsprayed. It was like that. I had helmet hair. I had a helmet head. Like it was. In the words of Don Henley, that bubble headed bleach blonde that comes on at five and a vapid personality puppet 100%. that is. Has right. no mm-hmm. credibility or gravitas, right. which both of us were fortunate that we got into the business because journalism, writing, and reporting was the driver, not because we walked across a pageant stage at some point and somebody told us maybe you could act the part. Right. Exactly. We wanted to be journalists. We wanted to tell the story. But I was tired of being kind of put in that box you know, hey, look this way. And then I didn't want people to look at me and thinking that I thought that I was better than them because I was not. I mean, it, I was we I am, real. We are very real. But so just that's by why, way of you being on television, right. there's that assumption that you think you're better because somebody has crowned you worthy sure. of coming into somebody's living room and reading a prompter. And OK, and I'll be honest, when I was in my early 20s, my ego, need, my ego would not have fit in. My head was so big. I was very impressed with myself because I was told to be impressed because I was this young blonde and I was this up and comer. And I was very impressed with the fact that I would get recognized and I would get free admission into the midnight rodeo nightclub in Amarillo, Texas. <laughs> so Anybody who gets into television that does not have a big ego is either lying right. or will not survive and will be eaten alive. That's 100% accurate. 100%. So that's so we I started blogging and then having that Facebook page and so that's why you and I wanted to do this podcast because we want to let people in. You and I are very very close friends. You're one of my best friends. We are a, we have a tribe the size of a Cheerio and we wanted to let people know we have a very parallel similar experience and that's why you know I was fired up when recently like this perfect Polly once again came fat shaming. So she this lady is trying to sell me She's trying to get me one of her MLM schemes, which I get it, okay? Her way of going about it was quite interesting. So she sends me this email. I believe I have it here. Let me read it. Pull that up. Let me pull, let me look into my, <laughs> let me get my sources here. And here we go. Amanda, I was, let me get my news voice going. Amanda, I was scrolling through Facebook recently and I saw a picture of you at an event. I wanted to reach out because I have a program that will help you lose some weight and get healthy. I couldn't help but notice you're not as small as you were on TV. (laughs) It's important we be better role models for our children. I'm excited to help you. My first response was, and since this is a podcast and I'm not on television, was to write back to her, eat a D. 
That's my first response <laughs> that I wanted to say, quite honestly. And so, first of all, if you're going to follow, if you follow me, you know that is exactly my personality. I am not polished. I am like a trucker from the backside of Philly. So, I mean, I was blown away. I was completely blown away. But I was trying to handle it, you know, let me just put it back on her. But the sad thing is I knew exactly what picture because I saw it too. Listen, I love me some tater tots. I love some wine. I'm Italian. I drink copious amounts of wine. You know, I know like I am aware I am not as small as I was on TV. But here's the thing. When I was on television, I basically had a consultant always chirping in my ear. That's right. I had a way after my daughter, when I had Gia. I gained 98 pounds. 98 pounds. I love to eat. I should have named every one of my children after a menu item at Taco Bell. <laughs> like, let's be real. Like, this is my daughter Chalupa. This is Nachos Grande. Like, I ate and ate and ate. So the consultant came in and she looks at me after I have Gia and she says, Well, how long until you lose the weight? I'm like, Well, it's 98 pounds. It's going to take me a while. Well, no, you have a few months. I went on this diet plan. I was drinking these drinks. I had to eat Melba toast. It's like eating this table. I did lose the weight, but I was miserable. I go on vacation. I'm eating fresh seafood, fresh vegetables because I love healthy food. I gained 20 pounds back immediately. I was abusing laxatives. Like that, how disgusting. Like abusing laxatives. In order, like if I ate something and I, I felt guilty, I was like, I'm going to take a laxative. Like I'm just going to flush everything out of my system. To You know, I was wearing a couple pairs of pants, like a pair of Spanx to suck everything in. It was like a busted can of, can you read? I mean, Spanx are miracle workers, but can you read? I mean, it was like if one piece of thread came undone, I was like busted can of biscuits or like those cinnamon rolls that, that came. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is what is unfortunate. That is what that business of television for women in particular does to you because it conditions you to constantly compare yourself, criticize yourself, look at yourself in the mirror, knowing the camera does add weight and the viewers will pile on those insults. But here's what is fascinating that a lot of people don't get. If you look at the research, not just buying habits in the home, but viewing habits are often driven by the woman in the home. Mm -hmm. The woman controls, as we've joked about it previously, the remote. So when we are with our husbands, oftentimes the woman might drive that viewing choice. Similarly, women drive an aesthetic in television that always blew my mind when you contrast it with all of the women that claim that it's men who are driving this Mm-mm. sleeveless top, skin tight, sex, sexed up presenter a la the Fox News, right. young women of, you know, the earliest days of cable. In fact, women drive those viewing decisions. So here's what we know. Research upon research that we've unfortunately been privy to because it was we were the subjects of this research, these focus groups, yeah. will tell you that no woman wants to see grandma with grandson. <laughs> they will watch grandpa with granddaughter, but not the reverse. No one wants an old woman right. doing the news. And so unfortunately, wait and all of the other elements of that shallow judgment factor into the need to maintain a youthful appearance. And it messes with your head. Every time that I would be up or down 10 pounds without fail, someone would act, ask me if I, if I were expecting. Yes. <laughs> oh, you must be expecting. No, I just went into a huge 
tortilla and guacamole binge. <laughs> I mean, you know, sadly, that's what we were expecting from the women who always claim that they will build you up. No. They will not build you up. They, in fact, are driving the tear down. They're driving it. I will never forget when a consultant told me that you want to be attractive as a female on TV. They would say you want to be attractive enough that men like watching you. And that you, you're appealing to them, but not too over the top where a woman will resent you. Mm. So I had no idea mm. what that meant, but it was crazy. And like, it was, we were our own bit, bit worst critics. I mean, if you've never seen yourself in HD, I highly discourage you from doing it. <laughs> you can have the most beautiful makeup put on. They pop you up in HD. You look like the Crypt Keeper. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you, you know, like you can tell that if you ate something, in a, like you weren't supposed to eat something. I mean, they pop you up right before the news starts and you're sitting there. And, and the turning point for me, and this was horrendous. And I will never forget how I felt. It was an election night. And I was wearing, I was like, I'm not going to wear, I'm going to wear something different. Normally I wear a black blazer. Here's the, here's the secret behind my black blazer. There's a reason I wore that because I looked it up. You know what? If I dress like the men, maybe I will get the same respect that men get. Maybe if the, the, people come for me, they're going to come for me about something I said or uh, a story that I did. Not, they're not going to come for me for the superficial stuff. So that's why I wore a black blazer every night. That was my uniform. And I wore a different black blazers. It's not the same one. Perfect poly out there. So stop calling me out on it. So the one night I, I said, you know, I'm going to wear a dress. It's election night. It was, you know, so it was one of those news anchor dresses that we all know what I'm talking about. Right. And I, st- I had had a baby nine months before. I, I'm very slow to lose baby weight. I will never forget the next day when I was talked to by the person, in ch- the news director at that time where I was. And he had said to me that, you know, um, don't ever wear that again. You look like a hippo. You are so unappealing to watch. Wow. Now, I lunged at him like a puma on ra- with rabies, you know, <laughs> and I was still wearing maternity pants because, first of all, they're awesome. And so my co-anchor at the time went to grab the back of the waist of my pants, but the maternity pants. So, I mean, it was like this big pool and struggle. It but didn't I didn't restrict you. I lunged at him and I'm thinking to myself... I don't even know. I didn't know what I was going to do. Like, I go, I, I'm hood. I'm kind of hood. So, I mean, I didn't know what I was going to do when I got to him. Like, I was going to, like, put my hands around. I don't know. But it was, I just spent, I just worked 18 hours. I just researched and busted my butt for a year and a half covering candidates. And we're going to sit here and talk about that I was unappealing to watch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I didn't realize, I, I, I didn't get into this business. I'm not a, a model. I don't look like a model. I've got hips. I've got like my backside resides in another zip code. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like this is who I am. That's not about, that's not why I'm here. And for that, you know, and then for, and for people, I knew that night people had been posting on social media or emailing the station saying, wow, Amanda really hasn't lost that baby weight. Why are we having this conversation? Mm -hmm. Why does it matter? And that's the worst kept secret, if you will, of television news. Whenever we go out and speak to people, when you've been very vocal on social media, people seem shocked. They're dismayed. How can they, management, get away with saying that? Why don't you sue? Why don't you quit? How are, how are uh, people getting away? You know with it's a, like this. We knew. And we knew this, the game. Th- yes. This is the game you play right. if you want to stay in a situation whereby for most of us, like yourself, you get into it because you truly love the craft. You want to pursue journalism. And in this case, broadcast journalism brings with it 
a host of shallow level judgments and game playing, sexism and masculine dominated realities that unless you want to close up shop, go home and never continue to do something that you have, you know, gone through hog lots from Amarillo to Yakima, Washington, you will have to walk away from the business entirely and you will ultimately be potentially blackballed from the business. That's 100 percent. And that is a huge risk that a lot of people, women in particular, may not be in a position financially, emotionally or otherwise to take. And I do not fault them for staying in it and surviving But when you come out on the other side, as we have, and you reflect back on that, at what cost? You know, I think because when you and I got out, like we've said before, we got out of the business at the age of 40. At 40, your I don't give an F meter goes into overdrive. Like I became when I turned 40, it was the most liberating moment of my life because it was like, you know what? I'm done with BS. Like I'm not going to apologize anymore. You know, if I I, it was, you know, we blogged about it. We're going to talk about this further as we go down the line of these podcasts. But it was I didn't care. And it was I was done. And so the thing is, it's really hard for your ego because as you age in news as a woman, you're getting older. All these other young journalists are coming in and they're getting younger and they're tinier and they're prettier. And they are just, I will never forget one of my very first co-anchors in uh, Amarillo, Texas, who I adore. He's one of my closest friends. He said to me, he said, you know, the key to being looking good, just stand next to someone uglier than you. And we used to joke (laughs) about that and I would laugh about it. But then when I start looking around the room and he'd say, stand next to somebody who is bigger than you or uglier than you. And so then I would look around the room. I'm like, well, I'm the biggest one in here and I'm now the ugliest one in here. I mean, because there were these. That's right. And that's what I always tell these young journalists that I no longer am invited to speak to because those crop, that crop of young journalists really does not exist like it did for us 20, no. 30 years ago. Journalism schools now are overrun with people who grew up watching Kim Kardashian. And because she's on TV that person has some level of broadcast slash experience that qualifies them to be credible, to have some kind of content-driven production that they get paid to do. That's not journalism. I mean, that's reality television. And that's something that for us, we did not want to become something that at that time in our lives did not exist. So I was seventh grade reading 17 magazine where I saw an article about a woman who was popping and logging tapes in and out of a production room in a new startup out of Atlanta, Georgia called Cable News Network. And that is the first time at 12 years old that I saw the term broadcast journalist. And I said, I love to talk. I love to write, but I'm not into the long form print style of writing. I want to be a broadcast journalist. And that's what set me on the course to Mm -hmm. ultimately pursue and fortunately get to do something for 20 years. But I used to tell these young women that I would speak to, here's the difference between you and the man, the young men sitting next to you in your class. You're going to have to come up with a plan B. Your career as an on-air television news personality will not sustain you over decades. So when you're young, and you have youth and time on your side, you don't have to worry about what we knew was an instant reality where 5, 10, 15 years go by in the blink of an eye, and all of a sudden it's like, what am I going to do? What else can I do? What is my plan B? And it's unfortunate that women in that business have to have a second act because you (laughs) will not be allowed 
to take your final bow sitting as an anchor in that no. chair. It does you not can't. happen. Women do not retire in news stations as a main anchor. You you do not. It does not happen. If, and you, if can, you were lucky, unless, you could go into management. But those folks, those women, are few and far between. What? Yeah, male, absolutely. Male dominated business. Yeah, absolutely. I will. I will never forget. I had an agent when I was in North Carolina, and let me preface by saying this: I did not have an agent because I thought I was awesome and or like this top tier anchor. I had an agent because I was lazy and I did not want to make my own tape. No, and, and I'm like, very, it was very common. I'm like, just get, do, do my tape, make it for me. And I will never forget. I got an email, and I at the time I think I was like in my early 30s. Still young, spring chicken. And he sent me an email, and the subject line said, bangs or Botox. There was nothing in the actual email. So I wrote back the most intelligent way I could and wrote, huh? Question mark, question mark. And he wrote back in bold face letters. I will never forget. It was in bold capitalized letters. You need bangs or Botox. And I was like, wow. I literally was sitting next to this man, my co-anchor at that time was 65 years old, fat, and wrinkled, like prune, like look like a prune. Like let's be, I'm gonna, just going to call it out. Like not that I'm trying to shame him, but I'm going to give you a visual, right? The man would take donuts to the set <laughs> because we had an hour-long <laughs> 5 o'clock newscast. So in between that, that during 529, he had a hunger pain, and he would eat a donut. Like fine, do your thing, boo-boo. Like I don't care. But I'm getting told that I have to have bangs or Botox. Not one person said anything to him. Not one person. So what did I do? I went and got Botox because I wasn't going to do bangs. This forehead can't do bangs. <laughs> but I went because I'm like, wow, I need – like that was that pressure like, okay, at already at the age of 30, I was feeling pressured That's to right. start looking younger already. Now, granted, like, you know, I had some skin stuff because I lived in a tanning bed in my late teens and early 20s. But like I'm like – Botox. So I did. And then, you know, I found Botox and I'm, I will, that's it for another day because it's a <laughs> lifesaver. It's the fountain of youth. But anyway, but I will, I will never, I was so bitter. And it was at that same station, they flew a consultant in and there was breaking news. There was a shooting around in, in the downtown area of where I was in North Carolina at this time. And know where I was? I was in the studio getting the latest makeup tutorial <laughs> by this young woman. She was very talented at what she did. She was a, this wonderful makeup artist. Like, I don't want, like, I have an Italian nose. Well, I want to show you how to contour to make your nose look smaller and do this face. Like, it was terrible. It was like a 75-minute application process. Do you think I want to spend 75 minutes on this face? Like, I just want to roll out. There was breaking news one night. And, like, so my male counterpart is covering the the, the news, what I want it to do. And I'm in learning how to contour the, the nose off my face. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. But I had, I had to do it. That's right. I had to do it. Because the end game was you wanted to maintain your ability to be a television journalist. And that's the Mm -hmm. trade-off and the sacrifice that we constantly had to make. I'll never forget, in my early days as a news anchor, I had a short-time news manager who didn't have a lot of experience, but had an idea about the excitement around the control of being able to pour over these resume tapes and and hand pick mm-hmm. from the Valley of the Dolls, the women that he would have never been able to date or be with romantically. But now I can play with these dolls in the newsroom that I will, you know, hand select from this yeah. resume reel where we can find the one that is most visually appealing to him. And he handed me the resume of one of the women in his consideration and said, Look at the pageant titles on this resume. Oh, and I, I didn't know whether to laugh or I, I, 
the fact that he would even share that with me was so troubling because I'm not pageant material. And he said, you know, we can teach him how to tell a story, but we can't teach hair and makeup. That's unbelievable. And I remember almost... I still get mad. That still infuriates me. Being sad, but at the same time, recognizing that the reality of that situation is not something people ever try to hide. So when people say, well, what do you do about it? Why didn't you report it? That was the culture. The culture was driven by a world where women were meeting a certain standard and aesthetic and everything else your reporting experience, your ability to go out and to be credible, that was secondary in nature oftentimes, especially as you depicted in the eyes of the viewers because their judgments about you were not about what you were lacking in your political commentary. It was the color of your lipstick, why you look fat, Mm -hmm. or how, in my case, my hairstyle didn't look as good as the day before because I had the blowout from the salon, and I can't replicate the blowout when I'm in a makeup room in one of my stations where we had a toilet, an open toilet with no <laughs> lid, right by the theater, dusty theater lights, and people would sometimes drop their powder poof in the toilet and then have to quickly grab it out and air it out because no one wants to replace a $30 MAC cosmetic compact. So, yes, that's how low budget the right. whole operation is. But they're expecting you to look like somebody on the level of stepping off a Miss America stage. And I will never forget when Tom Brokaw and his entire Meet the Press crew Mm. came to one of my stations to do a weekend taping of Meet the Press. And when they brought in the lighting, their own lighting, they weren't using our low budget lighting. They brought in their own lighting. And I just thought... Lighting is the key because key. when I saw Tom Broco in person, now granted this was not too terribly long ago, so in his older years of still hosting Meet the Press, post Tim Russert's, you know, untimely mm-hmm. demise, yeah. and he in person looked so much older, yeah. so much more wrinkled, and so much more aged. Right. That when I then watched that broadcast and saw how smooth and well-lit his skin and face were, I said, it is amazing how that aesthetic is driven by the best lighting, professional crews, and then we're in some small market with fluorescence thrown up, (laughs) expecting through this consultant description you gave to look like a million bucks. Those people don't look like a million bucks. No, we look better than them because we, right. we we were working with because some fluorescent. We were, it was real. It you was... were seeing me as I look in Walmart. So that's why I always get nervous when people would say to me, like, you look different in person. It's like, ugh. Mm-hmm. And so I just, it's not, I'm not trying to be vain, but I'm like, is it better or worse? Like, I'm just trying to get a feel. When I was in Amarillo, Carrie King was my mentor. She still is a mentor to me. She was my first news director. I was very much in love with myself. I would very much focus on the hair and the makeup. I morphed. I, once, you know, my writing took the back seat. I mean, this is in my 20s. And so she called a meeting and had everybody come to the newsroom. And she said, until further notice, I don't want to see Amanda Goodman's face on this television. I don't want to hear her voice. I don't, no, you're done. You are suspended off air for three months. And so she pulled me in her office and she says, if you want to be a Hollywood star, if you want to make it about your hair and your makeup, 
She's like, get your ass in the car and go out to California or go back home. She's like, if you want to be a journalist, keep your mouth shut. Don't worry about your makeup and learn to write again. That was the best. That was the best moment of my career. The best moment because I was headed down the path that I see so many that that, you know, sure. Great. You get recognized at the grocery store. Awesome. Because you're on television. You're told on social media that you're so pretty and that you're so beautiful. If you have substance, then I don't care. If you are talking and nothing's coming out, like anybody can read a prompter. Anybody, my, I could put my 11-year-old daughter you know, on a, on a TV set somewhere and she can read a prompter. Can she stand on her own two feet? Can she write something that's going to change a community? Can she expose something that's going to lift the rug out from under, you know, from somebody? That's what matters. But the sad thing is, and that's what we all want, but that's that's not what society comes at you for like being like I literally and I'm not sitting here like whoa look at me look at me but I try to fight for kids all every day that is my goal to keep every child safe and I still have a perfect Polly coming at me worried about my weight you know what Paul and if I weigh 325 and I'm munching on some tater tots and you know and a, a breakfast <laughs> pizza from Casey's who cares boo-boo as long as I'm helping keep what does that matter with if, if I'm helping keep kids safe like that is the problem and I will like I get so see I'm all worked up right but now this is what's sad the mentor you described is so rare, rare in a business where women do not age, mm-hmm. nor are very women put into managerial roles. And when they are, there is oftentimes that clash by way of they may have had their time in the spotlight and now they've been relegated to management because they've aged out of the position. And right. so there's the tension. So I was blown away, as you described, when you're young and you start out in television, there's always that person who's older or sometimes heavier or more experienced. Mm-hmm. But by by 30 years old, you're old. You are among the oldest women in mm-hmm. your midst mm-hmm. professionally. And what that does to you, you don't even realize until you're outside of that bubble. So me at 40 years old, I enter the field of education and all of a sudden there are women in their 50s, 60s, yes, all in my midst that became mentors and, you know, positive female examples. And they were older than me. And what a gift that was to then transition into an industry at a time when I was washed up at 40. And now I was actually young again and inexperienced going into another career realm. And that was mind-blowing just to reflect on that reality at 40 years old to be the quote-unquote oldest and wisest din mother in the room. Isn't that that is That is a loss of life exposure and experience for so many of those young women in the business. It's funny that you mentioned that because when I came to Iowa for, to, to work at the television station in Iowa, I was 35. And I was told at the time by my agent, if you get that job, you're going to be lucky because you are old. 35. So it gives you a compliment. Like, I'm, I was like signing up for AARP. Like, you know, I'm like, am I, where, like, bangs or Botox? Bangs or Botox. But that's what it does to you. And it mess. So that is why, like, if you come for me about my weight or my appearance, like, I am not biting my tongue. And we've, we have been experiencing this unlike any woman in any other career for our entire adult working lives. So very few have been subjected to that level of scrutiny. And unless you've, as you so eloquently shared a Brene Brown quote the other day, unless you've been in the arena and you've actually taken the heat 
as you have, you really can't imagine how it feels when it's reversed. And I think, and people always ask me this question. They're like, Amanda, why does this, why do people always say negative things to you? Like, why? First of all, I think it's my personal. I think there's always somebody out there who wants to check me. Like, I'm going to see if I can, like, you know, she's so awesome. I'm going to check her. I also think because, and correct me if I'm wrong, by being in the public eye, by once having this job that people used to think is so glamorous, you know, being on television, people have this, they have this thing, they think that we think that we're better than them or we're prettier than them and we're, and we don't at all. But I think maybe there's that perception. So I think people have always wanted to put me in my place or like check me like I'm going to see how, you know, and you're not you're not going to phase me. First of all, if you say anything about me, it says everything about you. Like anybody point the finger, you have the dirtiest hand. Like, let's, you know, let's remember that. Let's not forget that part of what gave you the platform, the position and the reach that has allowed you and afforded you the opportunity to impact so many people, especially young people, positively through your current employee the trade-off was you were then subjected to the criticism, to a lot of unfair, you know, jabs and attacks and attempts to check you. And in exchange, yes, you were on television, but that gave you the level of recognition, the voice, the reach that you are now channeling for good. And so the end game for you was about being able to build people up and help people. And that's something that nobody can criticize, nor can they argue. But we sure did get bloodied in that arena. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we took it. Absolutely. We continue. More, more later upon reflection than you realize at the time, because you take it at the time thinking that you're developing a thick skin or somehow, you know, I've been taking so much criticism and now with the proliferation of social media, they could instantly jab you during the commercial break. I mean, you could pull up your Facebook page and see that you were fat, whereas before they had to actually type it or call the receptionist. So times changed where you instantly anonymously could be attacked. And I think that what you do then only when you exit the business and you're not subjected to that level of scrutiny, do you really realize how much it was emotionally impacting you as a woman and then byproduct negatively influencing how we were raising our daughters because Mm -hmm. we were so driven, whether we admitted it or not, by those shallow level judgments that it was impacting how you would judge whether you should have a piece of chocolate pie. And that's scary. It is. And it's funny because, yes, my youngest is two. So, yes, I, it's, I, I am not bouncing back. I am not trying to be an Instagram star with how I can fit back into my pre-baby jeans. I will rock maternity pants my entire life because they're the most comfortable thing <laughs> on the planet. You know why? I'm doing it out of spite. I, I, I literally, subconsciously, I think I've done it out of spite because I have no timeline That's to right. lose this baby weight. Because whether or not I look like as skinny as I used to be on television does not impact my job right now that I'm doing whatsoever. Absolutely. And I'm not like, so I'm going to like, I'll get there. You know, I don't want to be like looking like Shamu at Lost Island this summer, like summer. Like I'm not trying to look that. But why? But what, the freedom in that is, ha- is empowering. It's, people, it's empowering. And, and, it's empowering. And, I, and you are the one who gets it. And I think unless you're in that business, it's just a different atmosphere. Like, I don't think there's any other job on this planet that gives you a timeline. And it's not. The actual, it's not the managers inside the building. It's consultants. And then it's also your own. That have made 
their livelihood based on a diet of constant criticism and right. critiquing. If we don't find something wrong with you, how are we justifying this high dollar consulting fee? Right. It's the chicken and the egg. And I don't know. I mean, I remember like I was also my own worst enemy. The people who I worked with, like, and they weren't doing anything deliberately. But, but when you're working with um, young people who are half your age, half your waist size, have a, some of them had a lot of talent. And you're thinking, well, they could get paid less than me. That's right. They'll work harder. They'll give, you know, they don't have my, uh, the, the chip on the shoulder that I have now have, because as you get older in that business, you're salty and you get a little bitter. So that Absolutely. is, and I, I was just over it. So it's been uplifting, but uh, you know, I'm going to have a tater tot. Uh, I'll talk, I could talk about tater tots like for an entire thing, but it's this one. I could, you know, you and I, when, so perfect Polly and you know, so for all the women out there, you do you and don't compare yourself to other women on social media. Don't look at, you know, someone's their journey. Your journey is different. You take your time and you do it for you. Absolutely. Don't do it for your man. Don't do it for your kid. Do you do it? You do it for you. I mean, and, and take, take your time. I mean, that's a great note to end on. And thank you to Hawkeye Community College. They have the best setup here. First class. It is first class. And Pixel Labs, they make us sound good. They do everything to look make us look We're good. We're working on that second part. They make us sound good. Now, how can they make us look good? Can Let's talk a, to them about that filter that Barbara Walters had for the years Halo on 2020. The she was the first one that had the soft focus lens. If some people, <laughs> folks, if some people you'd see them in person, you would be shocked. <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys next time.